This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. If you work in security, you know that compliance sucks. The traditional requests for manual screenshots, spreadsheets, long meetings with auditors, the list goes on, and it's not a great experience. But luckily, there's ByteCheck, a platform designed to make compliance suck less. With ByteCheck, you can establish your security program, automate your readiness assessment, and complete your SOC 2 examination faster, all from a single platform. The ByteCheck platform is powered by the ByteCheck engine, which automatically assesses your controls against audit and security best practices. ByteCheck is founded by cybersecurity and accounting industry leaders with a combined 30 years of experience. That knowledge is ingrained in the ByteCheck engine to provide you with quality reports that meet applicable standards. If you're in the market for SOC 2, we have a special offer for Hacker Valley Studio listeners. You can get 50% off the annual subscription to the ByteCheck platform and a free readiness report from the ByteCheck team. Reach out to ByteCheck at ByteCheck.com and tell them Hacker Valley Studio sent you. In this episode, we have a mix between a masterclass and a founder's journey. Our guest this episode is AJ Yan. He is a CEO and founder of ByteCheck. His personal and company mission is to make compliance suck less. AJ comes with a wealth of wisdom on cybersecurity, leadership, and personal growth. Can't wait for you to listen and check this one out. So let's jump right into it. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again here in the studio. And this episode, we've brought in a friend of the Hacker Valley studio. He is also a cloud security expert and CEO of ByteCheck. We have AJ Yon. Such a pleasure to speak to you again, AJ, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's always an honor to, to speak with you, speak with some of my friends in the industry and, and chat about cybersecurity. So I'm looking forward to this. AJ, you're a dear, dear friend, and you are having the best week of your life. <laughs> but before we get to all of that, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Yeah, so I am a Marine brat. My dad served in the Marines for 20 years, and I grew up in a military background growing up in Camp Pendleton. If anybody's familiar with the Marine Corps, they, they know Camp Pendleton well. I grew yep. up there. Then I, I left Cal Southern California to go to school in Florida to play basketball at Florida State, and that didn't work out too well. I broke both ankles, which forced me to join the military and figure out a way to pay for school, which sparked my career in cybersecurity. Because once I graduated from Florida State, I went into the Army as a signal officer, where I worked in an information security officer capacity for about six years. When I left the Army, I went into cybersecurity consulting and, and really cloud security advisory, uh, a little bit on the compliance space, where I helped grow a national cybersecurity firm from a team of about nine to well over 100 and expand doing SOC 2, ISO, HIPAA, high trust et cetera. And while I was there, you know, I realized that the way that we were doing compliance assessments, the way that we were going about these compliance assessments was wrong. Frankly, it sucked. I decided to 
launched this company, ByteCheck, with with my good friend Jeff. Uh, our, our tagline is really what our goal of our company is, and it's to make compliance suck less. It's been a hell of a journey, I'll tell you that. If, if someone told me 10 years ago when I was a knucklehead at Florida State enjoying after we just beat Duke um, around this time of the year, I believe is when we beat Duke at home back then in 2010. <laughs> and you had told me I would be a cybersecurity software company CEO, I would have thought you were crazy. So it's, uh, it's, been, a, it's been a hell of a 10 years, I'll say, I'll say that for sure. That's incredible. I definitely want to get to that origin story. But first, I would love for you to explain to everybody what this past week has been like. What are some of the highs, some of the lows? Uh, tell us a little bit about this past week. It's been surreal, man. We launched the company last Wednesday on Veterans Day pretty strategically. It was For me, it was a shout out to my father, who, like I said, is a retired Marine. And he's played such a huge role in my life. And, and veterans as a whole, military members, all have played a huge role in my life. All of my friends growing up, they're all military brats too. So all the other men in my life are also Marines and people that served in the military. So I've been around the military my entire life. And we launched on Veterans Day for that purpose. And since launch, the phone has not stopped. The calendar has not stopped. So the lows are I'm not sleeping as much as I was before <laughs> November 11th. <laughs> but the highs are, you know, the attention and the interest in what we're building at ByteCheck has been crazy. We're doing a ridiculous amount of demos. We've closed some deals since then, which I've closed a lot of deals in my life working in the consulting space, but it just feels so much better when it's your own, man. It, it just, it's a different feeling when you're closing stuff for yourself. So it's been insane. And then yesterday it was announced that I made LinkedIn Top Voice 2020, the number four voice. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. It's still surreal. I just got active on LinkedIn in March of this year. Before that, I was just uh, another one of the passive users. But my whole goal was to figure out how I can give some of my knowledge that I've learned over the past 10 years of my career back to the community and help mainly, you know, I was focused on helping vets and people that look like me to get into the field. And I thought that was the best way to do it on LinkedIn. And it's turned into this. And and that has sparked so much more interest in the company and is helping us grow really organically, which is really what we're passionate about. Right before we hit record, I was just mentioning that when I'm looking at LinkedIn, you're at the top of my feed. You're you're actively engaging with your posts and other people's posts. And that's incredible to see. And it was great when we did our live stream on Veterans Day. But one thing we just didn't mention here is you're also a vet, too. And I wanted to say thank you for your service and all that you've done with the U.S. Army. Would love to hear, is that where your interest in cybersecurity started? Yeah, definitely. And I, I appreciate that, Ron. Um, I definitely got more out of the Army than I think I gave it. So it was it was my pleasure to serve. <laughs> but it really kicked off in the, in, the, in the military. I was the computer guy growing up, you know, the guy in the family that everybody goes to to fix their email or their Microsoft Office or when, back when we were doing MySpace and AOL Instant Messenger. I was the guy to help people with that stuff. But I never really thought I was a tech guy because I was a jock. You know, I played sports. I was a I actually got recruited to Florida State to play football instead of basketball, but I was a knucklehead on the football field and that didn't work out too well. So I ended up playing basketball there. But I, I never really thought about tech until I got in the army. And once I got in the army and I saw really the importance of it. When you realize how important cybersecurity is, you can kind of get a passion behind it because you see a purpose and you see that you're having a real impact on the organization. And that sparked my interest. But, you know, the Army tech stack isn't that complex. Uh, We're not using cloud technologies, at least back then. We weren't doing anything really cool. So it wasn't like I was doing some 
really deep level technical stuff. It was really when I got out of the service and I got into consulting, which is really cool consulting to me because you get to see so many different technologies, interact with so many different people. That's when the interest really picked up and the interest in the cloud really picked up because I saw the potential of what not only big companies can do, but what small businesses can do. Small businesses that are hard strapped for cash and how fast you can grow an organization and do it securely in the cloud. That, that really got me passionate. And most people that know me know that once I get passionate about something, I go all in. And, and that's what happened with cybersecurity in the cloud. And it's been fun, man. I, I love it. I enjoy it. It reminds me of the military because no two days are the same. You're constantly changing and you're constantly evaluating things differently. So it, it feels a lot like the military, which is why I think a lot of military folks like uh, Chris and myself do well in this field because it, it has that same kind of pressure that we felt when we were serving. Looking at your background, I also wanted to mention something that I saw on your LinkedIn and that I was surprised about is you are one of nine siblings. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> it it was a wild household. When I was in high school, I had my older brother and my two older sisters in the house. And then we had our three younger siblings at the time. My youngest sister, I don't think she was born yet or she was just about to be born. So you can imagine what the bathroom fight was like in the morning, getting ready for four people going to high school. You got a few elementary kids. And I think my other sister was in middle school. So it was, uh, it was wild. I was in the upper middle half. So I was... This is how the best way I can explain it. One Christmas, my older siblings got cell phones, my younger siblings got toys, and I got shorts because there just wasn't, oh, I was too, wow. I, you know, I was too old for toys and I was too young for <laughs> cell phones. <laughs> so there was nothing to give me but some shorts and, it, and I loved sports. So I was like, I guess this is, this is the present. But I was right there in the, the upper middle half where kind of stuck in the middle of a lot of things, couldn't quite go out with my older siblings, but didn't really want to play with my younger siblings. That kind of helped me. And I, I've, I've been really comfortable being by myself because of that experience, I believe, which is, definitely helps in the military because you got to get comfortable being alone a lot in the military. Do you think being in the middle like that, like helped you step into your power, like say, hey, AJ's here and AJ, AJ's going to do some damage in this world. Do you think that was a part of it? And do you think also your sports background played a part in what you're doing right now as a CEO? Yeah, I think the middle aspect, definitely. My brother was telling a story recently of I learned how to play basketball by playing with him and his and his friends. They weren't kind to me, man. They, they didn't treat me well on the court. They uh, wouldn't even let me get a shot off when we first started playing. Every shot they would block. Um, and I had to learn mm. how to get around them. I had to learn how to do floaters. And my mentality ever since then was I'm going to be the smallest. I'm not going to be the biggest kid. I actually skipped a grade. I didn't do third grade. I went from second to fourth grade. So when I was growing up, I was always the smaller kid because I was younger than everyone, whether that was in my grade or even when I was hanging out with my brothers and his friends. So that mentality of like, I'm just going to have to fight my way through everything. And then also I have to scream when I'm doing stuff because nobody, nobody sees it. I'm not the youngest and I'm not the oldest. So you got to make a lot of noise to get attention when you're that middle child. So that I think that's played a role in my life where I'm able to put my head down and just grind because that's all I had to do. I didn't have another person there with me in that middle range. You know, I just had to get to work and try to figure out how I can get better and get through the next thing. And sports, definitely, man. I was telling my friends that this morning, I think sports has gave me the ability to do what I had to do with Bite Check this year, where I had to grind for six, seven, eight months on something with no reward. Nobody knew, really knew about what I was doing. And sports teaches you that. You think about any preseason, you think about practice. Throughout a season in a sport, 
you practice way more than you play games. And this mentality of just showing up and putting the work in and grinding is embedded in you. And that helped me out a lot because I was able to focus and lock in on the work. You fall in love with the process in sports, especially at a high level. At Florida State, in training camp, we would spend, or preseason, we would spend the first week and we wouldn't even do offense. We would only work on defense, which is why for the two years that I was there, we were the number one ranked field goal percentage team in the country. Leonard Hamilton taught us how to play defense and he taught it at his core. But you focus on the process, you focus on the fundamentals. And that's what I was able to do and lock in at Bite Check. And I think that mentality from the sports background of consistent work, just showing up every day, knowing that six months from now that might win you a ring, it helped me out a lot. You know, that's a great sentiment for growth mindset and the competitive nature. And I'm sure that's really valuable for being a CEO of a cybersecurity company because there's other companies out there that might do something similar. So you have to have that competitive nature, but also have the growth mindset to want to make the field and the user experience even better. And I love the fact that your tagline is, we make compliance suck less. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, man. That tagline is a funny, it's a funny background, but the real reason behind it is we're so confident that we know what we're doing and that we have the knowledge and the team to back it up that we feel like we can be playful with this. And while cybersecurity compliance is important, our number one core value at ByteCheck is not to take ourselves too seriously. And it, and it comes out in our brand. And that really stems from my background in the military where I know that there's way more important things going on in this world than me running bite check. And I'm not getting shot at right now. I'm at home. I'm in Miami, um, Florida. It's beautiful weather here in November. It's like 80 degrees outside, I believe. So no matter what happens from from an entrepreneurial perspective or business perspective, I'm very lucky to be where I'm at. And, And there's people out there that are sacrificing a lot more. So, you know, I always go back to our number one core value here of not taking ourselves too seriously and trying to have fun with it, which is really what our tagline is all about. And and I mean, we know compliance sucks. Nobody enjoys, except for us, um, nobody enjoys SOC 2 examinations. It's something that they have to do. And, and we're, we're not going to say that it's still not going to suck because it probably is still going to suck. But we're just going to help you make it suck just a little bit less. Um, maybe you'll have some fun with it. Enjoy speaking to us. And you're spot on, Ron, about the competitive nature. I am extremely competitive. It's kind of like if you ever seen an a NBA player that lists off all of the people that were drafted ahead of them, that's me with all of our competitors. I, I can tell you everything about each one of them at detail. And that's just because of how competitive I am. I feel like being competitive is a good, healthy trait. If you let it consume you, it can become overwhelming and you focus on the wrong things, but you should always want to be the best. I never understood anyone that played a sport or does anything for a reward and says, I want to be third place. I'm comfortable. Like it just does not a thing. You know, you should always strive to get first, but if you don't get first, it's fine. It's about the journey, but I'm always pushing and be the best. And what the best is always changes. It's always a moving target, which helps keep me going. When looking at being the best, you have to have a lot of intention. And when we first met, Chris and I both got to learn about how intentional you've been throughout your career. You were talking earlier about how when you were in the Army, you felt as though you got more from them rather than they got from you. But that could be only because you had intention throughout your service. And you were telling us a bit about your previous employer and how you learned a lot about SOC 2. So how do you focus on one subject and stay intentional for months to years? 
I focus on the process. I don't get caught up in the end result. So oftentimes when I'm trying to accomplish a task, I do this trick. I don't know if it's a trick, but this method where it's called the 90-91 method, where for 90 days straight, I'll focus the first 90 minutes of my day on one thing. And that could be studying for a cert. That could be doing something with the product. That could be working on something with our internal sales process, whatever it was. When I was back at my old firm, it was learning as much as I can about AWS. That was the focus every day was just diving into AWS. And it's because I really get in love with the process. I'm one of those people that gets bored when I'm not challenged. Once I get bored, I'm not a great employee or a great friend or great whatever whatever else I'm doing. But when I'm challenged, I'm really engaged and I'm going really hard at something. And, and the way that I keep myself challenged is by focusing on the process of achieving a long-term goal. So I set long-term goals, I set short-term goals, and then I set daily goals. One of the things I I used to do, I don't do it as much anymore, is I used to just pick three things that I was going to accomplish every day. And those would be the three things that I had to get done that day. And you know, sometimes throughout the day, your your to-do list packs up so much that even if you get a few things done, it doesn't feel like you really accomplished anything. So I tried to get away from that and say, you know what? Focus on just getting these three really important things done, and that's going to be a successful day. So at the end of the day, you don't feel like you were just running on a hamster wheel all day. You feel like you actually accomplished something. But I think it always comes back to being in love with the process. Too often, we want the end result without the inconvenience that it's going to cause you to get there, which is going to take that grind and that silence that you have to go through sometimes to just build something and to put the work in. I think everyone's taking notes right now because that is incredible pieces of advice. One thing I want to bring up is that there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, both real and fabricated out there in the world. But this year of all years, you decided to bet on yourself, take a risk, and step out into the world. What was the story behind that decision logic? I'd love to to hear you walk us through like how you made that decision to say, now is the time for me to bet on myself. The idea of starting a company sparked about two and a half years ago, I believe, back in 2018. Um, But I knew at that time I wasn't ready. I needed to learn more. I needed to understand more about the business. And I really needed to flesh out what the idea was going to be. But I knew I was going to take a chance at some point. Late last year, I started getting really itchy. Started realizing that I wasn't being challenged like I wanted to. Started realizing that I didn't really enjoy what I was doing. And I also saw a need for a product like BiteCheck. And I started to think through the idea, started to flesh it out. And it really came around the December timeframe where I'm one of those guys where I'll think about something and I'll lay out the pros and cons, but then I'll just sit there and I'll force myself to make a decision. And I looked myself in the mirror and I said, hey, you're doing this. <laughs> Next, by, by the end of Q1, you're going to leave your company and you're going to go try to start building something and you're going to go figure it out. And I committed to that. And we got to February 14th. I put my two weeks notice in. February 28th, I left my company. And then March 1st, it felt like the world ended. <laughs> and, and everything was mm. shut down. Travel stopped. And I, I was doing pretty well for myself at my last firm. It was the most money I ever made in my life, the most money anybody in my family has ever made. So I walk away from that and it looks like the economy's tanking. It looks like starting a business is probably not the best time to do it. But I sat there and dwelled on that for about maybe five minutes tops. And I told myself the same thing I told myself when I was trying to earn my scholarship back or or get back on the team there at Florida State was that the the only thing that would happen here is that I fell. And, And how bad is that? 
I'm going to learn. This is going to be a master's class in an MBA. This is going to be my the best MBA you can get starting the company. <laughs> and at the end of the day, you know, a year and a half, two years from now, if this didn't work out at that time, I knew I'd be able to probably find some employment back in this industry. And the reason why I was so committed is because I wanted to make an impact, not just impact in my personal life because making the money I was making, I was able to have all the fun I wanted and, and get all the shoes I wanted, all the clothes I wanted, go to the places I wanted, spend the money I wanted, but it wasn't making an impact on anyone's life as far as my friends, my family, and, and those closest to me. And I knew that if I wanted to truly impact others at the scale that I want to and the scale that I felt like I could, I had to take a chance like this. I had to show people that it's okay to take a chance. The thing that I don't want to do is get to 60 and say, man, I wish I would have started that business. I wish I would have left that company at that time and, and sacrificed a few dollars to go start this company. And, and that's the same mindset I had when I left the army. Leaving the military is pretty risky. Everybody goes through this idea of you just left the service. It's not that bad. But you know, in the military, you have guaranteed benefits. You have a guaranteed pay. You know that you're going to be unemployed as long as you don't do anything crazy. And as, mm -hmm. if you perform halfway decent, you'll get promoted and can have a 20-year career. So you're walking away from a lot when you leave the mm -hmm. military. And that was the same thing. I looked myself in the mirror and I said, hey, man, bet on yourself and you can do this. And, and once I make a decision, I'm locked in and, and I go hard at it and I don't really let anything else deter me. And the pandemic didn't deter me. It actually accelerated what I was doing on LinkedIn because I, I had to get on LinkedIn. You know, every startup book you read says, get out the building, get out the building and talk to customers. And that was the plan before... COVID began to take over this this summer. So I decided to get out the building. I had to get on LinkedIn, which has turned into an amazing platform for myself and for the for the business. Absolutely. One of the things that you said that I think really resonates with Chris, myself, and also our listeners is you created a masterclass for yourself. You had areas that you knew about and areas that you were still learning about, and you decided to look at it as a curriculum. There's no opportunity to fail because ultimately, you'll just have an opportunity to learn. What were some of the gaps that you had to fill when you were starting to first form Bite Check? Was it the business skills? It sounds like you had a lot of technical skills. What did you have to really double down on? Yeah, it was the business side. I was really comfortable with the product and the cloud, and that was fine. And I oftentimes, I tell people, I'm like, man, I started this company to do some cybersecurity stuff, and there's days where I don't even get to do anything related to cybersecurity. <laughs> I'm not even, I don't even know what, I didn't even touch AWS today. But the business side, man, it, it was the business and the marketing, uh, especially LinkedIn. I wasn't comfortable to posting like that. I, I wasn't a, a guy that was comfortable posting on LinkedIn like that. I tried to keep that part separate from my professional life. So I went out and, and learned how to get active on LinkedIn. I didn't understand content marketing. Uh, I didn't really know what I was supposed to do there. So I went out and got the content marketing HubSpot cert to learn how to do content marketing. So the reason why people that are following me on LinkedIn right now and go to our website and see all of this content and see the videos and see us just flooding your feeds with Bite Check is because HubSpot taught me. HubSpot <laughs> taught me to do the content marketing in that manner. And it's been, as you guys talked about it earlier with like intention, everything that I've done on LinkedIn since April has been with Bite Check in mind. Literally everything. I was testing value props with posts back in June to validate it. Just last week, I'll give you an example. Last week, we released a white paper through CISO Mag, a 
40 something page white paper on everything you need to know about SOC 2. And I suspected that people in the industry are like me. They hate giving up their email for good content. I always want to validate that that's just not me being the angry old man screaming at the clouds. So I posted about that back earlier this year. And the reaction was like, yeah, I I hate that too. So guess what we did? We released our white paper last week and we didn't ask for anybody's email. And the reaction was great. So it's been really intentional about taking what I learned very early on in the April and May and June timeframe testing it out before we launched the the company and it's worked. The one thing that I'll tell anybody about this entrepreneurial journey, similar to cybersecurity, no one really knows what they're doing. You just Google very well. Most cybersecurity <laughs> professionals are great Googlers. Like if you're in development, you're great at Stack Overflow. You know how to copy paste. <laughs> and, and once you get over that hump, right, that imposter syndrome idea of, I don't know, I'm not skilled enough to do this. And you just say, okay, I don't know the information, but in the day and age we live, you can get it. You can learn about Google ads. You can learn about YouTube ads. You can learn about content marketing. You can literally give yourself your own course. And then the way that people are producing content on LinkedIn nowadays, there's CMOs, there's CFOs, there's folks on LinkedIn giving out secrets of how to do this stuff. A guy I follow, Dave Gerhardt, he's the CMO at Drift. He has taught me so much. I paid for his course. It's like the laws of copywriting, I believe it's called. And then he also has this email secrets course. And I've used all of his tactics and they've worked. You have to be humble enough as a CEO to know that you don't know everything. And then when you're a small startup, that means you have to go learn it. And you have to go put the work in to learn it. And people have to be willing to go sit through seven hours of HubSpot content marketing certs. I took about 25 pages of notes from there, went and wrote out our whole content marketing plan. And now when it's thinking about what are you going to do for marketing, what's your go-to-market strategy, our entire LinkedIn and social playbook is already mapped out between now and the end of February because of the work we put in back in August. And that is a is really the the message here is, you know, educate yourself, put the work in, and then the fruits come later. The fruits come later as you're able to execute on all that education that you got. So many knowledge bombs being dropped right now. I love the experimental mindset, data-driven mindset. One thing I wanted to ask you about is from a compliance standpoint, folks, either you're in love with compliance or you're <laughs> kind of like, ah, oh, that, that's boring. Your eyes glaze over when people start talking about compliance. But I think you're on to something. You're, you're able to make compliance exciting. What's the, the strategy behind that? How do you get folks excited about compliance, making sure that they have all of their I's dotted and their T's crossed when it comes to compliance perspective? Yeah, I think it's because in our industry, we hate fluff. Cybersecurity professionals just want to get to what matters. And it's because of the environments that we live in. There's so many threats. We don't have time to do check the box exercises. There's enough of those that already go on in an organization. And we focus on just trying to get people to have value out of these reports and not just value from a, your sales guys gets to sales guys and girls get to go say that you're SOC 2 compliant now. No, it's value from a security perspective. It's how can you make you better from a security perspective? Because the thing that I realized is that companies are paying tens of thousands of dollars for these assessments, You know, sometimes up close to a hundred grand for these assessments. And they get no security value out of it. And you're spending hours and hours with auditors. And it's like, why are you investing so much time and money and effort and you get no security value? And one example that I love to give, and I encourage any of your listeners to do this, go pick up a SOC 2 report, either yours or your competitors or somebody that has a SOC 2 report out there and they're hosted on AWS. And I want you to look for an S3 bucket control. And 90% of the reports you pick up, you won't find an S3 bucket control. 
And if you think about that from a cybersecurity perspective, you know, you just paid $50,000, $70,000 for a SOC 2. You're hosting on AWS. And one of the biggest known ways that you can get attacked on AWS is through an S3 bucket being wide open. And you didn't even get that looked at by your auditors during a SOC 2 examination. And that's the problem with compliance. That's why people roll their eyes towards compliance because they know that compliance is not security. And I agree with that. I do not think that if you have a SOC 2 that you are now secure. But I think if we flip that saying over, and that's what we're trying to do, we're trying to convince people that security is compliance. There's so many frameworks out there. There's SOC 2, there's ISO 27001, there's HIPAA, there's HITRUST, now there's CMMC, all these other frameworks. But if you just peel them back, you take away all of the fluff language from the compliance standards, they're all saying the same thing. Do risk management, protect privileged users, do vulnerability scans, do a pen test, onboard right, offboard right. It's all of the same stuff. So when you get back to basic security and you go in and you go into these compliance assessments as saying, you know what, we're going to not just get a report out of this. We're going to be more secure. We're going to know where our holes are so that we can go out and fix them. Focusing more on that, I think it gets people excited, especially security professionals, because now they can go One thing I found is that security professionals take, when we do readiness assessments and we prepare them, they take this report back to their teams to finally have someone validate what they've been saying for months and years, that they need more people to solve these problems. And, you know, before the report, security professionals are are ignored. We're just the paranoid people in the corner saying we're going to get breached. But then you have a third party come in and say, actually, yeah, you know, we, we have some holes in our cloud environment. If we don't shore these up, something bad can happen. And that allows you to drive that that business decisions around around the security initiative. So I think that's what it is, Chris. I think it's we focused on security. It's high quality. It's not just two guys that just went through a SOC 2 audit and we started a company. You know, my co-founder, Jeff Cook, he actually wrote the SOC 2 guide. So the Bible that everybody goes off of that to issue these SOC 2 examinations, he's a co-author. If you open up the book, you'll see his name on the first or second page. And so we know what we're doing and we know how to do it better and faster. And I think people enjoy that too, because these things are important. You want want high quality, you want a respected name on your report, but you don't want to have to go through all of the the nonsense to get there. Knowledge bombs just being dropped left and right. You know, <laughs> one of the things that I was thinking of is maybe a course would be awesome. I think like you have all of this wisdom that you've bundled up in reports and even now a product would love to also see a course. What do you see in the future of compliance and security? Where do you see the shifts and security changing going forward? Yeah, I think we're going to see more demand for automation as companies realize that you can't you can't really manually assess a cloud environment. It's pretty tough to do a real good assessment from a manual perspective. So you're going to see organizations demand that they have auditors that have tools to perform better assessments and give them more technically accurate assessments that actually add security value. I think also that's going to change who the auditors are. Auditors are now going to have to become more technical. It's going to be table stakes that your auditor has some kind of cloud cert or maybe some kind of threat intel cert like the cert you all put together, but something to show that they know a little bit about the actual threat you're facing. And I think just an auditor coming in and saying, I'm a certified information systems auditor and I have my CISA, you know, or my CISP, that's going to be cool. You know, that's cool. But I think organizations are going to want more technical folks performing these assessments, 
uh, because of the importance of them. And one of the things we're doing at Bite Check, uh, you know, we're, we have a lot of going on with video, but we're planning on creating like a Bite Check Academy. And the plan there is similar to what HubSpot did, where we get to train people on concepts that matter in the compliance space. And, uh, you know, it'll be completely free. People can download it, complete a cert. We don't know when that's going to happen, obviously, because it's crazy right now with this past week. But the plan is to train auditors. We think that I used to hate when I was in compliance, the term technical auditor. People would say, hey, you're a technical auditor. And I'm like, well, shouldn't we all be technical auditors? We're evaluating technical <laughs> environments. <laughs> like, what, what's the alternative here, right? So I don't want that term to exist anymore in a few years. Uh, I want that term to go away to where every auditor is technical. Every auditor understands how automation works. And I'm not saying auditors need to be the best developer or know Python, although... If you're in security, you should probably know a little Python, but auditors, I'll give you a break there. You don't need to, you don't need to know Python, but you should know how the cloud works. You should understand the shared responsibility model, and you should understand how your clients can take advantage of some of the tools and services in the cloud to help improve their environment and help secure their environment. So I think organizations are going to demand that of auditors and hopefully ByteCheck can help uh, assessors and CPA firms and, and different auditors out there get smarter related to how to perform these technical assessments. And lastly, Ron, Ron, I think one of the things we want to do is add more transparency towards these assessments. Show people that when they're getting a report, when they get a report that the organization was using the Byte Check platform, they know the depth that we're going in from a cloud security perspective. They know how deep we're going to go in on some of these technical controls. So they they can feel a little bit more assured that that client who was using the Byte Check platform, their report's going to be a little different. It's going to be more technical. We're going to have controls that go out and monitor you know, popular code repos for exposed access keys, because that's another risk that happens in the cloud where people hard code access keys in GitHub, and, and now they're open to the world, and you, you have an EC2 instance in AWS going crazy. So you know, we're going to make sure that people are protecting themselves in a manner that is modern and focused on the cloud. And I think that's going to add transparency to the marketplace where people are going to start to look for those S3 bucket controls. They're going to start to look for access key related controls in these reports and want to know why didn't you go to that level? Why didn't you go this deep in this assessment? What was the point of it? And I and I hope that allows us to get that negative notion around compliance away where we know that these are things that are going to improve us from a security perspective. As you're talking, two themes keep popping up for me. One is betting on yourself, and the other is stepping into your personal power. And I think that's really important from both a practitioner perspective, whether you're moving into a new role, you're moving to a new team, you're expanding your own personal skills, but then also from an entrepreneur standpoint. I'd love to hear one nugget of wisdom for the folks out there that want to step in to their personal power. They want to bet on themselves. What is one piece of advice that someone could take and use today to start moving in that direction. I have one that I, I give to a lot of people when they're talking about starting their personal brand journeys or putting themselves out there or trying to do something that is, like you said, betting on yourself. And the advice is ignore the results for the first three months. Don't worry about the results. If what you're doing is to start posting on LinkedIn actively, don't care about how many people like it. Don't care about how many people view it. Don't care about your engagement. Don't care about any of that. Just do it for three months. If your goal is to get an AWS cert, just study for three months. If you fail the test in that three months, take it again. But don't worry about the results in the first three months. And, and the reason I say that is because most oftentimes people think that 
I think there's a saying or it's, it's common knowledge. People say like it takes 21 days to build a habit, but that's actually not true. It actually takes 66 days to build a habit. And there's been some studies on this. And the reason there's like these valleys, this valley of despair that happens as you're building the habit, like a true habit that it continues to be something that you can do consistently where you don't have to actually fight for it. You actually build that willpower strength to do it consistently. So three months, you kind of hear common themes here. I do the 90-91, which is three months. Now I'm telling you to ignore the results for three months because I think that period of time really gets you focused on the process. If you don't worry about the results, if you don't worry about how many people are liking it or is this company going to work, no, just put the work in for three months straight. And I'm confident that whatever it is that you're trying to do, the results will follow. Too often we look up and we peek up to see how we're doing. And when you peek up to see how you're doing and you realize it's not the end goal where you want to be, you get discouraged and you don't want to keep going. But that's not the time to peek up and see how you're doing. That's the time to continue to put your head down and focus on getting better and and just honing your craft, whatever that craft may be. An example I have is I was in a group chat with some of my friends and they were talking to me about somebody that just recently got started getting active on LinkedIn. They're like, hey man, you need to teach this person how to do better on LinkedIn. And they sent like a screenshot of their post. It didn't have a bunch of likes or something. And I was like, well, I went back to my post from April and found a post that had four likes and no comments. And I said, that's where we all start. Uh, they're like, no, you never started there. You always have engagement. And I went and got the screenshot, sent it to him. I was like, nope, we all start there. Every single person that has started out on this journey, their first times doing something didn't go well. I'm sure when you guys, if you guys go back and listen to your first ever podcast, you probably cringe and you're like, man, what is, what is this? What was the, what was, <laughs> it doesn't start well. If you go back and listen to early Drake or early Wheezy, some of the early, early tapes, it's not, it's not great music, but they kind of had to keep working at it. You got to keep working at it. And those three months, I'm telling three months are powerful. 90 days, you can do a lot and you can really lock in. One of the things that I do that I kind of stole from LeBron where in the playoffs, he goes in zero dark 30 mode where he gets off of all social networks and he just focuses on his craft. And, and at the start of 2020, I deleted my Instagram. I deleted my Twitter, deleted uh, any other social network I had. And I said, I'm just going zero dark 30 for the rest of the year. Um, I'm just going to grind in silence and work on this. Uh, recently got back on Instagram because I really wanted to post the Times Square picture. Sometimes you got to do that. You got to put the work in without thinking about the results. So that's what I would say. Ignore the results for the first three months and just put the work in. You are 100% a Hacker Valley minded mindset person. We definitely need to have you back. I almost think we need to have an AJ hour once a month just to continue this conversation. But thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for being on this episode. For the folks that want to keep up to date with you, with ByCheck and all the great things that you're doing on LinkedIn, uh, what are the best ways that people can do that? Yeah, I would say follow me on LinkedIn, follow the company on LinkedIn. We got some really exciting things coming out. One with the LinkedIn top voice announcement yesterday, I, I now have the ability to do a LinkedIn newsletter. So we'll be doing the weekly bite on LinkedIn newsletter. Again, getting away from emails. I don't want to be in your inbox. You don't want me in your inbox. So I'll communicate directly on LinkedIn with our newsletter. So LinkedIn is the best place. And I carve out, even now as busy I am, I carve out four hours every Friday to do mentorship. I have a calendar link where anybody can book time from 11, I think it's 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. I, I carve out time to do mentorship and I because I spent a lot of time mentoring this summer and I really enjoy it and I, I really enjoy giving back, especially to vets and people that look like me. So 
if you're in need of a mentor, if you want somebody to talk to and bounce ideas off of, reach out to me. I'll send you a link for you to schedule some time and, and we'll chat. I love meeting new people and talking. So, you know, LinkedIn is the place. And if I ignore your message, send another one. LinkedIn messages get crazy, but I, I will respond and I, and I will meet with you, hop on a Zoom and, and chat through whatever it is that you're going through. Incredible. I would recommend everyone to take AJ up on that offer. Hopefully your calendar doesn't go too crazy. <laughs> but like Chris said, we really appreciate it. We'll be sure to drop all of the links and your LinkedIn into the show notes. And we'll see everyone next time. If you enjoy our content, it would mean so much to us if you shared this episode on social media, told a friend, or wrote us a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform.